Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here. How about that? I almost didn't make it because uh, we had we had a new phone service installed today, and they managed to disconnect my entire Internet. But here oh, I am. Oh, God. I've God been nervous heaven. as the devil over here trying to figure out what the heck's going on. <laughs> That's what was going on. So anyway, we've got a great show tonight. We have one of our very favorite people in the whole wide universe. Lon Milo Duquette will be joining us shortly. And first, PK, welcome. And oh, we've been talking. That I sweated it off. I know I lost 20 pounds with this <laughs> panic I went through. <laughs> well, me too. I was like, why am I not? I, I knew that Lon had called in. I know you had called in. And for some reason, this board was not lighting up. So now I know why. So anyway, fix at the last second. Praise God and Goddess. Here we are. So tell us, PK, what's going on? Here we are in August. What's happening? Mm -hmm. Well, the fun part about what's going on has to do with the fact that we all need to really start doing some deep breathing. We're holding everything inside, and everyone is very uptight, and nothing is going quite the way we want it. It all has a lot to do with work, rework, redo, but building a strong foundation. Think in terms of the things that were the pain in the where you sit last year. That's <laughs> what this month is all about. We're getting to review it, redo it, but it's giving us a lot of, issues that we hadn't quite counted on because between weather from one end of the country to the other, I should say one end of the world to the other, everything is out of whack. It deals with details of things, but the need to build a stronger foundation, health and healing and doing alternative ways of taking care of it are extremely important. No shortcuts this month. It's very important that you follow through with the things that you know are the most important for you. Hold tight. It's kind of like being on a ship that's in a terrible sea storm. Hang on to the rail so you don't go overboard. What we're trying to do is make it through this one. Next month will seem a lot nicer and a lot better. But this one, bare bones, nose to the grindstone. Okay. That sounds good. All we've got. <laughs> that's all we've got is right. Oh, my goodness me. Well, mm-hmm. it's been an exciting time, I I have to say. So much is happening. And everybody I talk to keeps saying the same thing, that time seems to be moving so quickly. 
And it used to be just older people like us would think that way, like, gosh, time's moving so fast. But even the young people I talk to are feeling the same mm-hmm. way. So yeah. it's just whooshing by. I mean, a day to me feels like 10 minutes has gone by. Well, there's just so much going on that you're trying to stop the negative, hang on to the positive, and go forward. That's why I said it's like being on a bad ship at sea. As you can, all you can do is hang on to the side and pray to God you don't get thrown overboard. <laughs> yeah, really. I I remember a pilot uh, that I met who said, every time you hit a storm, you're told to do the same thing. Keep your wings steady. That's the way to get through it. So that's what we have to do. Oh, my goodness. So tonight, right as you know, wing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep your angel wings steady. Right. We have a great guest, and we love, love, love Lon Milo Duquette. He is amazing. He has written so many books, I can't even count them all. He's known as a singer, a songwriter, a recording artist, a humorist. He's also the author of, now it's said in his last bio, 19 critically acclaimed books. I think it's more than that and translated into 12 languages on magic and the occult. The critics have called Lon one of the most respected and entertaining writers and lecturers in the field of the Western mystery traditions. Since 1975, Lon has been a national and international governing officer of Ordo Templi Orientis one of the most influential magical societies of the 20th and 21st centuries. So we're going to have to ask him if he's still the Grand Master. I know he was. We're going to find out if he still is. He is internationally recognized authority on tarot, ceremonial magic, and esoteric Freemasonry. Now, although he takes these subjects very seriously, he tries not to take himself too seriously. And this rare combination of scholarship and humor has earned him in the last 30 years a unique and respected position in American spiritual and esoteric literature. Now, Lon appears occasionally on television and radio as a guest expert, like on our radio show, on subjects involving the occult. And he is also a contributor to the Magical Egypt DVD series, which is tremendous and a host on the new series, The Great Work. And he's a faculty member of the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, and Robert Anton Wilson's Maybe Logic Academy. He lives in Costa Mesa, California, with his beautiful wife of 52 years, Constance, who's amazing also. So, Lon, welcome to the show. Oops, I guess I should give him a mic, huh? <laughs> Hi, Lon. Hi. Thanks for having me back again. Can you hear me? Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. It's so great to have you back. You might want to talk a little bit louder, or if you're on a headset, just bring the mic a little closer to your mouth. We didn't get a chance to sound check you because of my internet disaster. So we'll oh, work well, with. Oh well, that's a, this is about as close as I get. Okay, that's going to work. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I don't live in Costa Mesa, California anymore. I heard you moved. Now, where have you gone to? Oh, just like last week, uh, I we moved to Sacramento, California. Wow. Wow. And what a big change. 
I know after 53 years in Costa Mesa, it's a dramatic change. <laughs> really? I bet. You had a beautiful, beautiful place there. Yes. Don't rub it in. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can be- only imagine. You've got a beautiful like. place here, too. Oh, good. I'm glad. Oh, yeah, that was that's a huge change. Oh, my goodness. I love the Costa Mesa area. Yes, it's uh, it just uh, actually it just got too expensive for us, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was true. time it's for a change. We, we've got a lot of friends up here in Sacramento, and uh, it seems like a place for us old folks to. Uh, <laughs> uh, I to, represent to, uh, that lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Settle in here a little, uh, but but we'll see. Uh, as you can imagine, the move was, uh, uh, you know, difficult, and uh, unpacking is difficult. And and uh, when uh, when you contacted me about uh, the interview, I said, oh well, uh, at least for a little while, I could stop thinking about the the trauma of this move and and have fun talking with uh, Patricia. So. Oh, thank you for the thank you for this intermission. <laughs> Means he well, doesn't the have two to Patricia's here. Yeah, we're happy to give you a break from that. And I'll tell you something: when we moved here in where we live now in Massachusetts, I told my husband, I said, the next time I move, it's going to be in a box myself because I'm not moving again. Oh, it's just yeah. too much. So. That was my retort to any further well, entertainment of moving. Let's, <laughs> let's hope that's many, many, many centuries in the future. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I really do. Well, we are here with you tonight to talk about a fascinating topic. You're actually going to be giving a workshop on this, invocation. So this sounds extremely Important. So we're very happy to have you here to explain this to us and to our audience, why this is so important, how the dynamics of this work. Um, we're, we can't wait to hear about all this. Well, uh, uh, yeah, it's my uh, uh, kind of my first project uh, uh, public uh, workshop, live workshop uh, that I've scheduled since uh, – since the move here, uh, you can imagine I was very busy, uh, you know, packing and, and moving and such. And so this is uh, this is sort of my my maiden <laughs> my maiden presentation uh, uh, from my new uh, vi- venue here. Uh, invocation. Okay. Now, I, you know that uh, I, I consider myself a ceremonial magician. Okay, it's a, yes. uh, um, uh, magic. Is, uh, it's you know not uh, illusionary magic. Uh, you know, prestidigitation and rabbits out of a hat kind of magic. It's uh, uh, magic with uh, connected to to magi or magi. Uh, it's a spiritual uh, uh, art form, a spiritual uh, uh, practice, and. Uh, that uh, ceremonial magic is uh, 
Uh, well, we we perform ceremonial magic every every day in our lives. Uh, just anything that that we accomplish, uh, that's our will to accomplish. We uh, uh, facilitate by the by the use of magic in its most generic terms. But it's it's actually uh, uh, an art form. Uh, in the same way that uh, uh, you know, Zen is an is an art, spiritual art form, and and uh, uh, other spiritual practices are are uh, art forms in a way. Everybody, every religion, every uh, uh, spiritual practice and discipline uh, is technically, generically, a form of ceremonial magic. Uh, and, and we see a most uh, uh, obvious version of this generic ceremonial magic uh, in the beautiful rituals of uh, 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 the Roman Catholic Church and the, the uh, Orthodox Christian churches, the, the uh, manipulation, the blessing of uh, of the elements uh, of uh, the, the Eucharist and things like that, uh, the sensing of the of the temple and all of that. Those are all overt ceremonial magic uh, uh, gestures, and so uh, we we could probably uh, uh, and I do sort of try to explain all of this to people sitting next to me on the airplane. <laughs> you know. I had a seat next to you. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, they make a big mistake to say, oh, what's that about, you know? Because <laughs> if they're not lucky, I'll tell them. But, uh, but uh, in a sense, it's a, it's a dramatic enactment uh, of... Uh, uh, of psychological things, modern modern magicians uh, don't have the same objective view of of uh, uh, angels and spirits and uh, 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 you know archangels and things like that. The, uh, uh, modern magicians don't view them as objective. Uh, uh, spiritual beings living on clouds somewhere or or uh, uh, under the earth in infernal realms or anything like that uh, but they they see it rather in in terms of of the entire magical cosmos is inside ourselves uh, and they look at it cabalistically uh, when the cabalists or the uh, esoteric uh, uh, practices of Judaism and Christianity, when they say that uh, we're made in the image of God, uh, they're actually suggesting, suggesting that we're the, uh, uh, the image, an accurate image uh, of the supreme consciousness itself. We're just asleep to the fact. So the, the idea that... Uh, in a sense, the entire universe, the entire outside world, is in a sense inside ourselves because we are that perfect reflection. Uh, in, this, in the same way that a, that a shard 
of a holographic uh, 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 lens contains the entire the entire picture only only uh, uh, viewed from a specific angle. So so the the idea that when we're working with angels and spirits and archangels and different uh, uh, divine names and things like that, they're all drawn from classic uh, Kabbalistic uh, magical sources that we have no illusions that these are objective uh, uh, things living on clouds and under the earth, but they're actually uh, components within ourselves that we've yet to recognize, we've yet to contact, we've yet to master and redirect. And so the, the idea of ceremonial magic is to use uh, uh, outward tools like like robes and incense and and wands and swords and cups and discs and and things like that uh, using outward instruments and uh, and a, a formula of of actions a formula of working uh, whereby we connect with those internal powers that we have within us and uh, uh, then set to work. Uh, to, to uh, gain a certain amount of mastery over our own uh, spiritual unfoldment uh, that way. It's, it, in a way, it's kind of the opposite to the way the Eastern mystic goes about things. Uh, the Eastern mystic, uh, you know, goes inside and, and quiets everything down, okay, and, and, and does all of this uh, uh, internally. The magician accesses that internal stuff uh, uh, in a in a dramatic way outside of himself or herself. If if that is making any sense to you, it I'd does. really be surprised. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. <laughs> it, it really okay. does make sense. It really does, and so we're calling upon these parts of ourselves and to manifest. And right. to do whatever else we want it to do. And it, it does make tremendous sense to me. And I love the way you just explained it. So the well, invocation... The, the thing is, for, excuse me, the, the, uh, the thing is, for the duration of the ceremony, the magician treats these internal things as if they were uh, outward things. Okay. For the, mm-hmm. for the duration of the ceremony, the, the magician uh, uh, buys in to the, to the concept that they are outside of himself or herself. Uh, but in the cold light of day, when the magician is writing in their diary, they have no uh, uh, illusions that uh, everything they were doing all was an internal process. Is that... Does that sort of explain the difference between the the medieval magician and the modern magician? Yeah, I I think so. PK, do you have questions about this? Not at the moment, but I'm very intently listening. Yeah, this is fascinating, Look. and it's it's also used. What you're saying is the invocation isn't just for magical practice; it's also for people who meditate. Correct? Oh God, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you know, proper uh, proper meditation includes the 
the the component of of invocation. Well, look, classic magic ceremonies uh, start off with a, with a series of actions that get you into that headspace. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. it starts it starts with the banishings and purification. Okay, and and uh, uh, and even before that, uh, the magician sort of announces to the cosmos who they are and what they want what they want to achieve or what is their will to achieve with this particular magical ceremony. And so that section of the ceremony at the very beginning uh, is is called the oath. You say, Hi, I'm I'm Lon Duquette and these are all my magical credentials. <laughs> Hear me, everybody out there. Here I am, okay? And mm-hmm. the, you give your magical credentials and everything else. And, uh, uh, and you know, you can make up anything. You know, you can, uh, you can say that, uh, uh, you know, I, Lon Milo Duquette, am a confirmed Methodist and second-class <laughs> member of the Boy Scouts of America <laughs> and full initiate of the Order of Demolay and charter member of the National Skateboarding Champions and former <laughs> rabid student of the Lee Strasberg Actors Studio. You know, and, and, and then just go, and then you can really start rattling off, you know, your, you state who you are to pump yourself up to, you know, I've got the right to do this, you know. Yeah. And then, fo- then following up on that, the next little order of business is a confession. Okay. And so you, you, uh, uh, oh, oh, you state your purpose. You know, I, I'm all of these things. And, and uh, Knight Monk Initiate of the Sovereign Sanctuary of the Gnosis, the Ordo Templi Orientis. And then you say, like, in the presence of the Lord of the universe, I do hereby and hereon most solemnly promise and swear that I will conduct this ceremony to achieve such and such an end. Now, you kind of see where we're going with this? Yeah. Mm. Okay, but then then you do a confession in a way. And you go, you know, all of those things, you know, I was really lousy Boy Scout. You know, and I and I only joined the Demolay because my girlfriend was a Job's daughter, and and and, and so you you sh- you show that other side of yourself, okay? Yeah. So even though I'm all of that, you can't get at me because I also know my flaws. I also know my shortcomings. I also know all of that. And then after you do that, you say, but be that as it may. <laughs> okay. I, I am who I am, and I am what I am, and there's no one. There's no one on earth or on dry land or in the water of whirling air or of rushing fire, in the highest heavens or the lowest hell, who is like unto me, you know. And then you really pump yourself back up again, and and uh, yeah, you get yourself established. And behold, all you stiff-necked, dog-faced demons and 
with your groveling minions all fall down before the light of Lon Milo Duquette, you know. So that's sort of the, the <laughs> that's, right. that's sort of the magicians <laughs> tricking themselves into into uh, starting to become a magician. <laughs> and then and then after that with that self affirmation you banish the temple and then you purify, uh, and there's ceremonies of banishing, okay? And that sort of opens up the space in the same way that you vacuum the living room floor before you invite guests in, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then after that, you purify the temple with water in all the quarters. And as you're doing this, in a sense, you're purifying yourself, and then you consecrate the temple area, and that's done with fire. And and uh, you take a, a candle or a or a, uh, a wand, which is the fire instrument, and go all around, uh, casting a classic pagan type circle, uh, and consecrate the the temple and yourself with fire. Then perhaps you sense the temple with incense and everything else. And now, the nice, clean you is in your nice, clean temple, and it's completely banished all of the other forces in the planetary uh, and elemental uh, influences are, for a moment, held at bay on the perimeter of your circle. And then the next part of the ceremony is the invocation. Ah, that's when it comes okay. in. Okay. And that's what my that's what my talk on Wednesday the twenty fifth is going to be about. And it's going to be a little workshop because there's actual sort of uh uh inter, in, interaction with the with the, the the listeners, the audience. And uh, so the invocation but before you go on for that, Lon, how can people sign up for this? Where can they find you to sign up? Good idea. The best way, and I'm not sure when, when this is going to be broadcast, but the, uh, the best way at this point uh, is to email me at lonmilo, that's one word, lonmilo, at gmail.com. And that's the fastest way and just put, uh, uh, you know, invocation workshop in the subject line, and I'll I'll send the registration link. Or That's they can great. go to my Facebook. Because they can yeah, go to so my Facebook you, page. I saw when you announced it on Facebook that you'd be doing this. That you had a tremendous response right away. There were a lot of people that were very interested in this workshop. Now, do you know how long it's going to be? Are we talking about a couple hours, an afternoon? No, we're talking about uh, uh, over an hour, but probably less than 90 minutes. Okay. That's good for people to know. So it's it's a fair commitment of time, but not overwhelming. So that's really great. And I know I've done a a couple of your workshops before. I'm easily overwhelmed. Super. <laughs> also, right. also, if 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 you're in the part of a wor- the world that uh, 
Uh, it's either too late at night or early in the morning or something like that. Uh, everybody who registers will also, when it's over, will also uh, uh, receive the link to the replay, and they can replay it as many times uh, and view it as many times as they want. Oh, that's great. Well, I know I've taken a few of your workshops, and I've loved every one of them. They've been amazing. And one one that wasn't a workshop, but it was actually a reading when you read all of the Enochian calls. And it was, I believe, on, was it a New Year's Eve thing that you did a while back? That was fantastic. Oh, yeah. I was high for a month after, <laughs> <laughs> after that. Yeah, I, I was reeling after that. That was so amazing. I mean, it's just you could feel it. Just the tingling everywhere from the Enochian language that you you spoke that time. It was great. So I want to encourage everybody who's interested in this, whether you practice magic or you just do meditation, this is something important that you can learn from the master. So I'm going to sign up. I'm really interested in this. This is great. Oh, good. Yeah. Now I'll be nervous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, so tell us more about the progression. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted everybody to know how to sign up for this. So the invocation you said comes next. So it's, is that kind of in the middle of everything, would you say? But, no, it no, like it's, it. it's, no. You know, you really aren't a magician yet until you've invoked. Mm. Okay? Now... You said you're ready to be a magician with your your uh, oath and your confession and everything else, but a magician is, especially for this kind of magic, a magician is acting as a Solomon. Okay. Mm-hmm. The person you are at the at the very beginning that that you know, walks into the, the temple and starts all of this stuff, the you that you think is you is not the you that can do the magic. The magic is done by God. Okay. Okay. You, there's very little you can do unless you are the conduit of the supreme consciousness of the universe. And uh, the the person of the story of Solomon, King Solomon, is the archetypal magician. And it's the and it the story of Solomon is the the basic structure that makes magic work. And it makes the person a magician because it's the Solomon that does that is the conduit to the to this supreme to the almighty to the omnipotent the omniscient singularity of the universe because there's very little that Lon Milo Duquette can do. Okay, Lon Milo Duquette can only actually work magic if Lon Milo Duquette is the pure conduit of the the source of all uh, 
all energy, all power uh, of the universe. You can only bamboozle the spirits for a short time before they figure out you're not that conduit, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And then what? Once once you're exposed... Yes, and then then you've had it, and and sort of that's the source of all the Faustian uh, uh, stories about the the spirits having control over you instead of you Ooh. over the the, the uh-huh. spirits. Okay. So the inv- so the invocation is that part of the, every ceremony where you become that conduit, where you actually become the reflection of the supreme consciousness of the the universe. And it's that working through you that makes you a Solomon and that gives you the the ability to then manipulate, to order about, to reorder, to organize, to direct, to focus all of the lesser energies of uh, of the world around you and and that is portrayed in the solomon story like this uh are you ready for one alon's <laughs> are you ready for one alon's bible story we are ready <laughs> okay <laughs> uh Okay, uh, uh, in in uh, in the Bible story. Now, now, please don't uh, don't think you're obliged to uh, uh, believe this as history. History. This is this is mythology history, which is even truer than history. History. Okay. Oh. Okay. So don't. Yeah, we don't have to argue whether there was a there ever was a flesh and blood Solomon or ever was. We don't even have to have that argument. The story is bigger than anything history could tell us, okay? Wow. Uh, Okay. So the story is uh, King David, Solomon's father, okay, uh, really had a nice connection with, uh, with God, the singularity, but at least for a while. Uh, but he was kind of a big backslider, okay? And also he was, a, he was such a violent guy. He was a warrior guy. That's what, he was, uh, that's what he was good at. That according to the story anyway, uh, uh, for a while while he was flying high and really connected with deity, uh, God said, you know, you should, you should actually build me a house, which is... Uh, uh, a miniature working model of the cosmos, and and it, it needs to be so perfect that it is uh, th- that it vibrates with the same vibration as as the cosmos itself. So if you if you imagine that uh, that uh, uh, existence is held together by a giant tuning fork, vibrating a giant huge cosmic uh, note an A note, okay? And if you could build a perfect little tuning fork that was exactly the same proportion and exactly the same weight and exactly the same shape and everything else as the giant one, 
it would sympathetically vibrate with that same note. Does that make uh, sense? Yes. Okay. So the temple of the the temple that that deity wanted uh, David to build would be so perfectly proportioned that it would vibrate with the giant master vibration of existence itself, and thereby the presence of God would dwell in that little tuning fork in the same way and vibrate in the same way as the giant tuning fork does. So that's that's the machine that deity wanted David to build. Wow. I think I think that's just awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, the, the whole idea of it just gives me chills. Incredible. Okay. Yeah. But but anyway, David just kind of blew it one way or another. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he blew it worse than Mario or uh, or of uh, uh, Governor Como. Okay, and uh, <laughs> that's really blowing it. <laughs> and, uh, he blew it even worse than that, you know. That's so anyway, and he and he and he died. Okay. Oh, and. And uh, uh, you know Solomon was only one of his only one of his sons, and he was just you know kind of a kind of a dandy. You know he was raised in the harem, and, and uh, uh, he he, he was just sort yeah he was just yeah, he wasn't uh, you know especially king material because uh, you know he's uh, he wrote poetry and and. Uh, uh, Stuff like that, and uh, but anyway, uh, the, the politics being what what they were, he did become king. And uh, when he became king, he realized that his father had not fulfilled that promise to build that miniature tuning fork. His father had not built that temple, whereby. God could indwell on um, on the physical plane, and so he said to himself, "Oh, geez, uh, uh, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to even, you know, uh, you know, build a, you know, a kitchen table, let alone a, <laughs> a miniature working model of the cosmos." So what the story says is. In, in sort of a, a profound, transcendent laziness, said, you know, I don't have the, the knowledge or the insight or the intuition to hire a bunch of contractors to do this. You know, I, you know, you know, I could pay people to, uh, you know, building contractors and stuff, but they won't know how to do this. The only, the only entity that knows how to build this is God itself. And so, so Solomon, in his profound laziness, which I totally understand and <laughs> identify with. Uh, did 
did what he had to do in meditation to enter into the presence of God. Okay? Now, there's the key right there. And he wasn't a big mystic or anything else like that. He just knew that's what he had to do. And knowing that, he entered into the presence of God. And God was surprised to see anybody enter into their presence, okay, <laughs> or enter into its presence. And he almost looked up and said, whoa, nobody's ever done that before. <laughs> you know, they they send up lots of prayers and stuff that they want and everything else, but nobody actually came to me, you know. Yeah. So God was in, God was impressed, and Solomon just said, "Look, I don't have what it takes to build this temple for you. You're the only one that really knows uh, how to do this. You know, I'm not going to ask you for building contractors. I'm not going to ask you for cedars of Lebanon. I'm not going to ask you for gold or jewels to adorn this thing. I'm not going to even ask you for an architect or a or a, or, or drawings or." Or uh, plumbing. <laughs> I just want the wisdom to know what to do. And only you can give me that wisdom. I'm here. I'm in your face. And that's all I want. I don't want gold. I want jewels. I don't want anything. And according to the story, and remember the story is setting the format to all to all uh, uh, Solomonic magic uh, uh, of um, medieval times right up to uh, modern times. God, according to the story, was so impressed. Says, "Wow, that nobody's ever." Ask me that before. Yeah, okay. I'm going to, okay, you got the wisdom, kid, because you had the wisdom to get here. You already got it. You're okay. Not only that, but everything else you need, I'm going to just throw it in for the bargain. And one of those things he threw in for the bargain was the ability to conjure and control what in other less plugged-in hands would be destructive spirits, uh, technically evil spirits. Now, these evil spirits are only evil when they're uncontrolled and undirected. Technically, the, the evil spirits the blind forces of the universe do all of the heavy lifting in the universe already. They're not only the construction crew that builds everything up, they're the wrecking crew that tears everything down. And unless they're directed, they create and destroy, create and destroy. It's not their fault. They just have no foreman to tell them what the heck to do. Huh. And so Solomon was given the key 
That's why you all always hear about the key uh, of Solomon. He yes. was given the yes. key to to make these wild and crazy roughneck crew of of uh, uh, formerly evil destructive spirits and give them good union jobs and put them to put them to work for constructive purposes and so it was the evil spirits that took a break from being destructive and started to be constructive and it's those spirits that actually did the heavy lifting of building and adorning the temple of God, the miniature working model of the cosmos. And because uh, they dutifully uh, fell into cooperation with the will of deity itself through the conduit of Solomon, they in turn became redeemed themselves oh. and raised in, in spiritual status. Now, you, we, we could probably view that as the, the demons being uh, uh, transformed into angels if you wanted to, you know, cast uh, moral, moral aspersions, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, uh, to everything. But the, that that is the Solomonic myth. Okay. Now that mm-hmm. Solomonic myth is repeated in Freemasonry. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the myth of Freemasonry, and that's why Freemasonry uh, uh, reveres the Solomon story and puts puts a little twist on it themselves that's not particularly uh, uh, biblical, but it is totally magical. But uh, but that's another workshop. Okay. okay. Uh, this this workshop is about that invocation part of the ceremony where you enter into the presence of God. Because oh. if if the magician doesn't have that part of the ceremony right, then the magician isn't a magician yet. And that's why it's so. That's why it's so important. It's the keystone of an arch, and the entire structure of every magical ceremony is just going to come tumbling down if that keystone is removed, or <coughs> or if it's too anemic, you know, to hold all the other stones uh, together. So that's why it is so important, and that's the subject of uh, uh, my talk. The importance of magical invocation well this is very very exciting information Mm -hmm. that they're going to be giving out and even so far i mean just listening to you talk about the myth of solomon and and how this came to be it's it's so important i mean these are these are very important every detail of that story has a level of importance to it like the fact that he knew he was just a shlemiel and Yet here he knew enough <laughs> to, to show yeah. up in God's presence, and it was the only way oh, well, this was well. going to work. So that's that's that, and there's uh, uh, 
you know, I'll, I, I, I go through all of this and I give, you know, when I was a kid, I was raised in Nebraska, okay? Uh, <laughs> oh, God help me. And <laughs> I, spent, I spent 10 years in Nebraska, but it seemed like 400 years. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. But, but that, that's where I was, that's where I uh, grew up. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, uh, we were Methodists, which uh, which isn't uh, necessarily, a, you know, a, a bad thing. I, I, I didn't mind it because we sang a lot. And, <laughs> well, that's uh, good. I was in the choir and things like that. <clears throat> but in uh, Nebraska in the 19, uh, late 1950s and, and uh, such, every school convocation, every uh, barbecue, public barbecue, or fish fry, uh, every uh, uh, civic meeting uh, was opened with an invocation. Mm. Every every high school uh, football game <laughs> or baseball game or uh, uh, mostly football in Nebraska. They, I'm not sure that they were into baseball in my community. But uh, they all opened with an invocation. Okay. That's amazing. You know, Reverend Johnson is now going to deliver the invocation. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Let's all stand up. (laughs) And so everyone in the stadium stands up, and for a minute they take off their hats, and, and, uh, you know, somebody uh, gets up over the loudspeaker and says something like, uh, 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 you know, Heavenly Father, uh, we uh, we uh, ask you to look down upon this athletic field to come back and, uh, uh, and uh, spread your blessing upon these uh, proud screaming eagles as they battle for victory and, uh, you know, stuff like that. Wow. That's, that's what invocation used to mean to me. I go, what? You know, why? That's pretty lame, you know. <laughs> and then, then years and years later, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to grab a. I'm getting so excited. I, I'm going to have to have a drink of water. Here. <laughs> then, then later on in the. the uh, when I got uh, involved in in like Golden Dawn, you know, formal uh, classic uh, ceremonial magic, uh, you know, it wasn't much better than that. Okay, during the invocation, I mean, it was so wordy. Oh, <clears throat> thou Almighty, oh, Holy, thou art so big, you're huge, and and. Uh, um, and it went rattles on and on and on and on, um, you know, in a, in a sense, try to influence uh, uh, a deity to, to somehow be present and and uh, and bless the ceremony. But it really wasn't that much better in my mind as those screaming eagles uh, <laughs> <laughs> football game thing. Okay. Right. To me, 
to me that <clears throat> that wasn't entering into the presence of God or having God enter in the presence of you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so it was many, many years later when I would, it would really dawn on me how important this particular component of every magical ritual is and how truly, profoundly, awesomely simple the process really can be and is. And, and uh, so w- w- when that shoe dropped, when, when uh, that dawned on me, I could, I, I could see uh, a very simple thing that anyone, absolutely anyone, no matter what their, uh, their spiritual worldview, no matter what their deities are, no matter what their, their uh, uh, either agnostic, atheist, uh, 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 or uh, highly religious point of view, how everyone can hit that sweet spot and then continue to, to uh, try to influence the, uh, the world around them uh, to facilitate their own awakenings, their, facilitate their own enlightenment, to facilitate their own spiritual uh, evolution. And in a sense, uh, this is the subject of uh, importance of... Uh, of invocation, and that's uh, that's why I'm so excited about it. Actually, so. yeah, it's, it sounds exciting. I plan on being there. I think this is a really important thing to participate in if you're at all interested in meditation, successful meditation, and uh, magical practice. So it's it's just it's your life has been so interesting, Juan. All the amazing books you've written. You know my favorite, My Life with the Spirits. It's just it's just been one magical adventure after another. But I have to ask you if you would share the story about the time you were invited to present and I don't know exactly what it was. I'm trying to remember. It was something very special where you were taken to a place but they wouldn't let you see where you were going. And it was the library you said was like a Harry Potter library for real. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, I was uh, uh, I was lecturing in New York City. Uh, this is years ago. This is at least twenty years ago, maybe maybe longer. Uh, and I was lecturing, I think, on on uh, <clears throat> uh, Enochian magic. Yes, and. Uh, he was in a very cool uh, venue, kind of an amphitheater type thing. And uh, afterwards, a uh, uh, guy came up to me and called me Brother Duquette and uh, uh, said that he was a Freemason and, and uh, he knew that I was a Freemason. And uh, he asked if, uh, uh, you know, I'd be interested in uh, uh, presenting uh, uh, for for a group of esoteric uh, Freemasons sometime. 
And, uh, you know, me, I'm a shameless, uh, shameless guy. No, 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 no. Sure, you know. <coughs> will, you, will you feed me, you know? And uh, he says, well, we'll be in touch. Well, it was a year. Uh, you know, uh, Masonry is a, is a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, organization. Actually, it's hundreds of organizations, Okay. But esoteric uh, esoteric masons are truly esoteric. Okay, uh, you know people uh, uh, think masonry is this big secret organization that you know oh, they rule the world and stuff like that. Uh, but really, uh, most of masonry is very very public and very uh, uh, innocuous innocuous. Uh, and uh, and harmless and, and most masons on the planet uh, don't know or care anything about esoteric things. Okay, that's just that's just the case. And and it's such a big tent that they needn't. Okay, but yeah. some masons re- really are uh, are uh, in tune with uh, the heart, the soul of masonry, the esoteric. Uh, part of masonry, the part that that under certain circumstances you could even call the magical part of masonry, but because there are so many masons that that think that that uh, so many masons that may be superstitious and think that that is uh, uh, going to give them a bad reputation if they if uh, it gets out that some masons you know are praying <laughs> you know <laughs> or or invoking, you know. Is a, mm-hmm. So, so there's an aspect of Freemasonry that really is a secret society, just like it was uh-huh. in the old days. And uh, so, this is one of the, one of those things, okay. And mm-hmm. um, eventually, they they contacted me again, and they wanted to see if I would be the uh, keynote speaker at uh, at uh, uh, their next. Uh, uh, kind of major meeting, and uh, uh, it was held in one of the most stunningly beautiful old Masonic complexes and edifices in the country. And it doesn't. And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna even tell you where, okay? Because yeah, it was all. It's all sort of under the table kind of thing. Right. So. I I flew to a nearby city, and uh, uh, where friends picked me up, and uh, drove me uh, I don't know thirty forty miles to uh, uh, this place, and it was late in the day, and uh, you know I the place was so big it was, it, it's almost like the you know the the Capitol building. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was the Capitol building of the state of the state that this was in for uh, about six months, uh-huh. and, and there, there's just no front door to the place, okay? Uh, or, or there is, but you don't know how to get in. You know, it's just it looks like the Parthenon. And oh my uh, so we were driving around. I said, "How the heck do I get into this place?" 
<laughs> and I and and I see a delivery guy uh, drive up to uh, uh, like a, like a almost an underground uh, uh, garage door entry into the bowels of the of the thing, and and before the before the door closes behind him, you know, I I creep in there with my suitcase. And when the door closed, it was absolutely pitch black. Okay? Oh no! <laughs> and and so I just kept walking in the dark. And eventually, I saw a little light coming from the the right uh, from the right at the toward the end of this darkness. And when I got to that, I could see it was like a a, a cafeteria type uh, type place, but it was light, and so I started to look around for an elevator or or steps or something. <laughs> yeah. And and I walked past this huge huge area with about twenty <coughs> pool and billiard tables. Uh, and I go, what what is this place? And uh, I finally found some steps, and I went upstairs uh, to the ground level, which was just all marble, and a mm. huge three-story atrium. Wow! With a, with a skylight of stained glass. Oh my And God. columns and pillars on either side, and statues of the four. Uh, 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 you know, uh, courage, you know, uh, what do they call it, the graces or something. And right in the middle was a statue of a goddess with her finger pointed to her lips. And I, mm. <laughs> and standing in front of that, uh, that statue that's hushing me, I said, hey, is anybody here? <laughs> and and it it echoes through this this huge huge temple, and and so I go up uh, two more flights of stairs to this this whole other uh, uh, second floor area that 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 rings this atrium area down below, and there's smaller temples. There's a Babylonian temple with, with this beautiful, beautiful Babylonian sphinx against the wall and, and hanging uh, lamps, uh, charcoal lamps. That, they didn't serve as that. And... and uh, then there was a, a blue temple and a, and a uh, 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 like a Egyptian uh, motif thing or Assyrian. And one of the rooms I opened up into this huge, like Harry Potter library, and I just and I was walking around all by myself dragging my suitcase over those marble <laughs> floors 
And down somewhere I hear people talking. And so I walk around those areas to, to where the, the, the talking gets, gets louder. And I enter into like the back of a, of a balcony area that looks down on a full-blown Egyptian temple. Oh my goodness! Decora- oh my God! De- decorated <laughs> with with uh, uh, motifs of Hathor and uh, winged solar discs, and there they are meeting. Okay, and <laughs> and uh, there's uh, I recognize uh, a couple of my a couple luminaries of of uh, Masonic uh, esotericism, uh, and one of them is is speaking uh, to the to the gathering there. There's about two dozen people, and oh, two thousand. Uh, wow. No, 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 two dozen. Oh, two dozen. No, okay. No, oh, it, it's just a really small group. Yeah. I and uh, I I then, then from the balcony area, I said, "Hello, how do I get down there?" <laughs> <laughs> and everybody looks up, looks up, and says, "Oh, Lord, and you're here!" You know. <laughs> so even walking into the building was a full-blown initiation. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Okay. Yeah. And everything, everything in your life, when you view things magically, everything in your life is. A magical act. Everything in your life is an initiation, if only you see it as such. Uh huh. Gosh. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Oh, that's a great <laughs> story. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And what an what an incredible experience to be in a place like that, where there were so many temples. Ah, oh, and this oh, Egyptian yeah. one has really caught my attention. Gee. Oh yeah, and then later on when you when you hear the details of uh, uh, what they are, how they were constructed, how they were uh, uh, researched uh, when they were originally made uh, 120 years ago or whenever it was, um, it just gets more awesome as time goes by. And truly, that weekend, I mean, we stayed right there. Uh, there's plenty of uh, uh, there's room for about 200 people to stay there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, because in the old days they would have uh, uh, Scottish Rite uh, events were like a week event. You stayed there for a week. Yet they oh. made you write home to your wife. You know. Uh, wow. And. Uh, so it was just wonderful, and truly, it was everything I always fantasized Freemasonry was about. Oh my and, goodness! Uh, so that's incredible. Now, this group of esoteric Freemasons. So it must be an invitation-only group. So they reach out to people yeah. like you to come and and do a presentation or become a member. How do you become a member of something like that? Well, it's it's uh, it is by invitation, and and 
it isn't anything uh, official or officially sanctioned by any particular grand lodge or jurisdiction, and it is for the, the education and edification of the individual uh, uh, members, and it isn't something that uh, 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 is open-ended. It lasts for a few years and then disappears. So, oh. uh, but in the but in the meantime, other things like that uh, do occur. And I was uh, literally, I was masonically blessed to be able to do that. And I'm telling you, I'm not. This isn't false modesty. Compared to everybody else there, I was the biggest putz on the panel, okay? I that. That's some kind of panel then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. So the the most high were there. Well, the, the I mean... Uh, Everybody presented papers, and uh, so uh, every uh, most everyone was a was already uh, an author of some some uh, uh, re- repute and uh, and an expert in the scholar para excellence. And uh, truly, I was I was a pretty funky funky guy, and I think they. Uh, uh, but I provided a little entertainment uh, anyway. Oh, just, sure. Just because I was so funky. Yeah. <laughs> now, are women involved in this group, or is this a, a men's only thing? Well, this one, particular one is uh, was men's only because uh, uh, everybody needed to be a, uh, uh, an active member of a, of a, a particular Grand Lodge or another. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, at, uh, especially in those years, uh, uh, there wasn't cross re- uh, recognition of, of uh, co-masonic groups, and uh, so it was still uh, uh, it was still a still a men's club at the time. So, what about now? Uh, do women participate in Freemasonry throughout the world? Yeah, yeah. The uh, there are particular uh, lodges under particular grand lodges that uh, 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 that um, uh, to to a varying degree uh, there's a th- there's a thing called co masonry which uh, uh, was uh, uh, developed during uh, uh, more or less by the, the- Theosophical Society in the late uh, 1800s, and uh, and and now co-masonry uh, is receiving recognition and co-cooperation uh, in in a lot of uh, jurisdictions, and uh, uh, in the circles that that I I move in. Uh, uh, the uh, there are I've got lots of women Mason friends. I guess I'll <laughs> I guess okay. I'll say that. Because, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. And uh, uh, 
you know, I've been married 50, 52 years, and uh, uh, I've been studying this stuff even before I was a Mason. So my wife and I, uh, you know, I shared tons of stuff even before I was a Mason and obligated uh, to uh, uh, keep uh, all of these non-essential things secret, you know. Mm-hmm. And so my yeah. wife knows, every, you know, as much as uh, uh, I do about... Uh, about masonry, and she kept saying, "Why would any w- woman want to do that?" <laughs> you know, with, these, with these old guys, you know, I don't want to be a mason's lady. You know, I'm a, you know. Uh, the reason she said, the, the reason that yeah, there aren't more women uh, masons is because she didn't didn't think. Uh, uh, why would anyone want to do that? <laughs> But oh, actually, actually, it is it is very rewarding and and very uh, uh, it's stupid that uh, <laughs> uh, that that there isn't that there isn't uh, you know complete uh, you know that it that it isn't that, who cares you know and uh, so and it's getting that. And it's getting that way, you know. Uh, uh, classic old Orthodox uh, masonry was segregated too, and that's no longer uh, that's no longer the case. And that was so stupid too. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but masonry is so old that it's very it changes very slowly. But I've seen it change dramatically just in the 25 years or whatever it is that I've been uh, in the craft, and. Uh, and of course, my other uh, Masonic type groups, the OTO, has uh, just as many or more women in uh, leadership roles than uh, than men. So, oh, uh, that's interesting. That, that was Crowley's whole thing with the OTO. That's why, uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, the OTO uh, split with uh, 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 European Grand Lodge Masonry because. Uh, Crowley just flat out said, "No, we got to have women. It's uh, half the population. Uh, it's half the magic, for heaven's sakes." And uh, <laughs> so, uh, but they wouldn't go for it. So Crowley says, "Okay, then the OTO is going to stop making masons, and we're going to do our own thing because uh, got to have women." So. Yeah. Oh my goodness! How fascinating. Now, with the let's go back to that Egyptian temple that you saw. I mean, that must have been quite something, standing in the presence of those statuaries and knowing what they all were about, knowing what they meant. Not only that, but even they were even painted with the same formula that the original paint of the original temples uh, of. Uh, of late dynastic uh, uh, Egypt used to to adorn the temples. Every uh, so many inches of the the paint had to be redone using egg whites. Wow! Living egg whites to to hold the the, the color in the. Uh, if nothing else, masons do their homework about. All things architectural. <laughs> wow, I guess and, so. 
and the, the sacred geometry that is exhibited in all of these different areas, the, uh, even the lecture rooms and the, and the, the uh, smaller side temples and the, the atrium and, the, and the, uh, even the auditorium, the sacred geometry uh, displayed there makes you start to feel that you're reorganizing your bodily temple in a oh, sacred okay. way. Okay. Huh. So in the, remember what I was saying about the Temple of Solomon being yeah. uh, a miniature working model of the cosmos? Yes. Well, the principles of sacred geometry are echoes of the miniature working model of the cosmos. Things, oh, okay. things, proportions based on on Vesica Piscis and or Piscai <laughs> or whatever uh, you, you want to call it. Okay, sacred geometry that's all vibrating with those same little cul-de-sacs of perfection. And as you walk through it, as you live through it, as you sleep in those perfect proportions, you can feel your own psychic body trying to readjust itself to that same frequency of perfection. And so it, it has an immediate response to your own consciousness. And uh, in the same way that when you walk into a great cathedral in Europe, you just go, oh, my God, I'm in a piece of heaven. Right. Because you are. Yeah. Right. How fascinating. So in ancient Egypt, that's what these temples were for. That was their purpose. Well, yes, they 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 ring a bell on on a level of uh, space time that your own psychic body responds to. Hmm. And what about the pyramids themselves? Same thing. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Lon, you know everything. I ask no. you the hard questions. <laughs> I, I don't know, but my uh, my good friend Dr. John DeSalvo uh, is a is a pyramid guy par excellence, and he's written a couple of books uh, on 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 the pyramids. But uh, they are so old. Okay, they predate uh, uh, you know many of the sacred uh, uh, temple sites, uh, and so the 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 technology for the for the pyramids is uh uh so fundamentally uh, you know the way they're they're oriented and uh their proportions uh in a, in a sense they're they're sort of a of a different uh uh Animal. They're, 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 they're separated by, you know, a couple thousand years between some of the uh, temples that, that incorporate mm-hmm. what we recognize now as sacred geometry uh, in, uh, in Egypt. So, 
And I really don't know. I don't even pretend to, to know that. I know okay. I know my place. <laughs> I know where I start. I know where my putzness begins. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I mean, what an adventure to be taken to a place like that, to be invited to present at a place like that, and then find all of these beautiful works of art that have this power to them that you resonate with. My goodness, that's just amazing. It, it, why don't we have more places like that? I mean, it just sounds so beautiful and so wonderful. Well, it, it was uh, Freemasonry was really big uh, for a couple hundred years in the United States. And uh, th- there are quite a few, uh, uh, and all over the world, uh, uh, but just sheer numbers of memberships now is uh, uh, minuscule compared to what it was, say, in the 1920s and, oh. and at the turn of the century, yeah. But um, but any, any, anyway, yes, it was uh, it was quite a... Uh, a, a wonderful experience. Uh, and, oh, actually, uh, my friend Mark Stavish, Mark Stavish has written a wonderful book on Freemasonry. And uh, he asked me to write an afterword uh, or afterward uh, <laughs> for uh, his book on Freemasonry. And I give a description of this wonderful temple complex uh, in my uh, in my contribution to his work, so it's a fine book on Freemasonry, uh, and I would recommend that for anyone uh, interested. It's uh, just uh, uh, you know look up Mark Stavish and uh, Google the word Freemasonry, and you'll find the book. You know, Not only Freemasonry that, but, uh, has gotten a bad rap. I don't understand why. How how has that come about? Uh, superstition. Okay, uh, you know most everything that gets a bad rap uh, on a spiritual level uh, is either connected with uh, uh, well, is it's misunderstood. I remember when I was a hippie that yoga was seemed like a, a satanic. Uh, plot of some kind <laughs> okay <laughs> so. oh also you know I, I recently I, I uh, uh, or Weiser published a book of mine called uh, allow me to introduce yes and and in allow me to introduce I uh, I have a chapter on this uh, 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 Mark Stavish allowed me to, to reprint my afterword and allow me to introduce. So you can, but please buy Mark's book. But, uh, oh, everybody needs to read Allow Me to Introduce, too. For heaven's sakes, go out and buy it, please. Yes, it, it's a wonderful <laughs> book. I know when, when this first came out, we had you on the show, and we talked about it. And, yes, I mean, it's a wonderful book. All your books, Lon, are just tremendous, every one of them. And everybody listening should go and Look up Lon Milo Duquette on Amazon and see what books call to you because, as I mentioned, they're all great. They're all 
very entertaining because you are entertaining, Lon, and sure, you come yeah. away with learning something totally new and having a perspective on magic that you didn't have before. So definitely check out Lon's books. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Now, do you have another one up your sleeve? I know you. You're always writing. What's coming next? Uh, well, next is uh, is a new edition of uh, of my book, Homemade Magic, and oh. uh, I'm yeah I'm writing the the new material for the uh, a new edition of that, and uh, the second edition of my tarot cards are again available after all these years and and uh, at a normal price. And uh, so I've, I've got those two things, uh, and I'm still working on Zoom, uh, Zoom seminars, but I'll have another book coming out uh, uh, with Wiser as, uh, as soon as I, uh, you know, f- formulate the title. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I always start. I always start with the title, and then, then I get a, I set myself a deadline, and. <laughs> but anyway, I've been so, so crazy with this move that I'm I surprised bet. that I could throw together my, my, uh, Zoom seminar and uh, the the new material for the, uh, homemade magic. I, I'm really surprised I'm doing this well. Really, so, me too. So this, good for you. Yeah. No, this is not easy. Moving at any any time of life is not easy. But yeah, he had a long history in Costa Mesa. So, gosh, but look at all the wonderful things you're doing now. And this invocation um, workshop, uh, you're going to accept emails from people who are interested. So they should email you at lon. Milo, M-I-L-O, at gmail.com, right? Yeah, and Lon, Milo is just one word, all lowercase, uh, at gmail.com. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll send them the link to the registration. Okay, Great. and you also have a Facebook page, so people can reach oh, yes. you there. All my crazy things are on Facebook. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a Facebook. Uh, I don't know what to call me, but uh, that's that's the equivalent. That's the equivalent of my blog, and my uh, my journal, and my confession, and my uh, uh, it's my soapbox. So I've got all I've got everything of my shameless self promotion on my my Facebook page. And is that just under your name, Lon? I'm trying to remember. Is it just under Lon Milo Duquette? Lon Milo Duquette, yeah. Okay. So that's where you can find this amazing, amazing gentleman on Facebook. And also email him if you're interested in the Invocation Workshop. I'm definitely going to sign up for that. I'm very excited about it. And really appreciate the way you explained everything to us tonight. Very helpful. Very insightful, and uh, as always, very entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) Always. (laughs) Oh well, thank you guys for having me on. It's always a pleasure. It's great having you on, Lon. And please say hi to Constance for us, lovely lady. And 
we are looking forward to having you back. So whenever you'd like to come back, talk about anything you want to talk about, whether it's a new book or the revisions or the additions to Homemade Magic, you just let us know. We'd love to have I you sure back. Will. Okay. I sure will. Okay. <laughs> well, this has been great. Lon, thanks oh, again. And everybody will be back next week with another great show. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.